Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every couple of years, the Environmental Protection Agency puts out this report. It's a series of spreadsheets, mostly with thousands of lines of data. It's called the National Air Toxics Assessment. And one of the things they do, it's really amazing, the data, is that they go through every census tract in the United States and they estimate its cancer risk based on exposure to a number of air pollutants. Environmental reporter Sharon Lerner waits for these reports, reads them like a novel. And a few years ago, she was flipping through one of those spreadsheets, looking for outliers places where cancer risk seemed to cluster. The EPA categorizes each census tract by how risky it is. In one place, 30 cancers out of a million might have been caused by air pollution. In another, 35. And then... I saw a number that was over 800. It was just way off the map. It was so far above any of the rest of the numbers that I knew that something else was going on. I said, wait, what's that? What is this? This cluster is in St. John, Louisiana, just outside of New Orleans. On one side of town, the Mississippi makes its way to the Gulf of Mexico. On the other, a plant belches chloropene, the main ingredient in the synthetic rubber known as neoprene. Think of wetsuits or computer sleeves. Sharon watched as each year, living in St. John just seemed to get riskier and riskier. And so in 2018, a new report came out. And again, St. John had the highest risk of cancer from air pollution in the country. And this time it was 1,505 cancers per million. So, so that is 50 times the national average, right? No matter where you live in the U.S., the air you breathe and the toxins suspended inside it pose a risk. Over the years, the EPA has actually changed how much risk it considers acceptable. So originally, the EPA's cutoff for acceptable was one per million. That's one cancer per million attributed to air pollution. Right. That's what's supposed to be uh, the acceptable level. And then there are some documents uh, that show that under the Bush administration, they sort of changed that, upped that to the upper limit of acceptability, they now say, is 100 per million. So without really any explanation of why it would be more acceptable to have 100, 100 times the acceptable pollution limit. But however you slice it, it's completely insane. It's egregious. The risk in St. John, Louisiana was 15 times higher than the already elevated risk level. So we know that St. John is a huge outlier, and the people who live there have a far greater risk of cancer. What's been done about it? Pretty much nothing. Sharon wanted to know, when your environment is making you sick, who pays the price? So she went to Louisiana to try to figure it out. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us.
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The factory that has caused so much trouble for St. John first opened its doors in 1964. At first, it was owned by DuPont. Later, it was sold to a Japanese company called Denka. Now, it is the last remaining factory in the United States to manufacture neoprene. Sharon says if you ignore the fumes, the town itself is really pretty sweet. So St. John is right on the rivers, right on the Mississippi River, and it's lovely, really. Pretty much everyone seems to know each other. Some of the roads are paved, some are not. And the houses have been there for a really long time. The people have been there for a really long time, generations. Some of them going all the way back to slavery. One more thing you need to know about St. John. Most of the people who live here are Black. So it's pretty amazing. The factory is on land that used to house a plantation. And the residents who are affected by it and live directly up against, literally against the fence, there's a fence separating, a chain link fence separating them from the factory. They are the descendants of slaves who used to work in the plantation. And some of them still talk about it as a plantation because even after slavery ended, you know, it housed a plantation. And what's sort of mind-blowing about this town is that although they're getting all this pollution, most people do not have the jobs there and, in fact, have wanted them. And that is one of the things when people talk, residents talk about it, they still are so angry that they didn't get the jobs. They still want the jobs. So they have been harmed by it but not benefited from this factory. Hmm. So when you went down there, you met a guy named Robert Taylor. Who is he? So Robert is now 78 years old. He used to be a musician. He's lived in St. John for a very, very long time. And he's lived in that area for his entire life. And he's been through a lot. He talked about not being allowed to go in the front entrance of the clubs he played in and all these kinds of things. And it's sort of in a way that just like that's how it is kind of telling me his story. But somewhere in the past few years, while he's in his 70s, he went from being this guy who's kind of a musician and and sitting back and watching the end of his life to someone who's basically taken to the streets Hmm. um, because he is so upset about the pollution there. And it has struck him and pretty much everyone in St. John in a deeply personal way His wife had breast cancer and has MS. He has a daughter, Raven, who is essentially bedbound now. She's, I think, 50 or something like that. She has been unable to work. She has had this ridiculous stream of surgery. She has a very rare autoimmune condition, which it turns out was also, even though it's like on, it's considered a, a very rare disease. The other place that it has been seen is in Kentucky near the other uh, <laughs> neoprene factory that was run by DuPont. And in fact, that's where she ended up 
seeing a specialist and meeting the other people who had it. There are a couple other people also in St. John who have the same condition. Even though it's very rare. Very, very rare. When did he begin to connect the illnesses in his family to the plant? Well, I think everyone there has felt that they have more than their share of illnesses. You know, we stood on the threshold of his house and he pointed, you know, said, that person died of cancer. That person died of cancer. Miss Ella over there, she had cancer. He had, you know, and everyone you talk to down there has this similar kind of story. And it's like my uncle, my aunt, my brother, my brother-in-law, you know, it's just there's a lot of disease. And I think for Many years, they just accepted it as this is the way it is. So in 2015, this EPA report comes out and basically says, yes, everything that you've been feeling is true. I'm sure that must have felt like validation to Robert Taylor, but he also he formed this concerned citizens group. How did that come together and what did they try to push for? Well, they almost instantly realized we need to fight this. I mean, that's what you would do, right? If you have if you and your kids are breathing in carcinogens in this at a crazy level, what would you do? You would bring it to the authorities. You'd bring it to the attention of anyone really who would listen so that it could be stopped, right? They just, and and he, Robert Taylor, says this over and over again, I just want to stop being poisoned. So they came together and said, what are we going to do? And they have protested. They've tried to go to the school board. They've tried to bring it to the attention of uh, local lawmakers. What happens when they do that? Not very much. And it was very difficult for them to get on the agenda of the school board meeting. Now, understand that their elementary school has very elevated levels of this carcinogen. And it's really quite a big problem down there confronting petrochemical companies. It really becomes... Why? Because industry is the source of many jobs and people perceive them as the backbone of of their economy And they're afraid of backlash. You went to another town that also showed a spike in chemical exposure and and a tie to cancer, which was in Willowbrook, Illinois. I'm wondering if you can compare what happened in Willowbrook and what happened in St. John. Sure. So in Willowbrook, they were dealing with a different chemical. And I thought it was really interesting that I, I thought, oh, wow, this is the same problem, really. Different chemical, same problem in Willowbrook. The issue was ethylene oxide only. And the source of it was very clear. It was a plant called Sterogenics, which uses ethylene oxide to sterilize medical equipment. The people in Willowbrook were getting sick, too. Everything from respiratory problems to bone spurs. Cancer, too. So they also, understandably, formed a community group to draw attention to it, to fight. And... And when they had a public meeting, which they did, they had officials from like every level of government there. And then they ended up getting the head of uh, the air division of EPA to go meet with them. And it was like really attentive. You know, they just were. And then I believe it was six months between when they formed the group and when the state of Illinois closed the factory. And then when you look at what happened with St. John, and they didn't find out about their uh, their contamination, which, again, is like about five times uh, higher their cancer risk than what's going on in Willowbrook. They didn't find out about it until like eight months after. And they didn't have a public meeting. And it was just the contrasts were really glaring. You know, I remember Robert 
Taylor, who did go to the one of the three people who went to the meeting eight months after it was known that they were having this really elevated cancer risk. And uh, whereas in Willowbrook, it was like, a, you know, give us your questions. We're going to engage with you in in St. John. They said, you're not allowed to ask questions. You can write them down on a piece of paper. And they didn't never notify the public, you know. And so it's just a very different way of treating people. It's so interesting because the efforts sound so similar, right? Mm-hmm. You have motivated citizens forming an action plan, forming groups and getting together and lobbying on behalf of what they want to happen. Why do you think things went so differently in Willowbrook? So one of the very... That was a deep sigh. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the really obvious factors here is race and another is income. So Willowbrook is a very well-to-do, mostly white community. And it should be said as many times as I can say it, nobody should be having this pollution in their community. And I feel they were uh, absolutely right to do everything they did. And I'm thankful that they got the response they did. They were rightfully outraged. They brought it to the attention of their, their legislators. And they fought like hell. They'll tell you this. They These guys organized. But they also, you know, they have access to attorneys and journalists. But what happened in Louisiana is that they formed their group and nothing happened. And it's about, I believe, it's more than 90% African-American there. The average per capita household income is just above 17000 I believe in Willowbrook, it's 77. So you can see there are real stark differences in terms of income and in terms of race. What's interesting is that you're painting this picture of this really knitted together problem where you have in Louisiana... The local legislators are incentivized by the fact that they're probably getting money from the petrochemical industry. It's a major source of of jobs for the state. And so that's one form of incentive. And then you're also there's the race issue and the fact that some constituents have more money to give and they're more respected for whatever reasons. And I was so struck by the fact that um, Robert Taylor Back in St. John, he literally said to you, he was putting himself in the minds of the petrochemical maker, and he was thinking, why did they come here? And he said, if we find a place where it's just going to be Negroes, we can set up business there. We can set up shop there because nobody cares about them. Yeah. Yep. And he really puts it together. He does. And the thing about Robert Taylor, he he's not interested in being anyone's friend anymore, you know, he d- and I think he feels free to say exactly what he thinks at this point. And I think it's actually really useful for this fight to have someone say exactly what he thinks. And I don't think he's wrong. Hmm. So eventually the state closed the plant in Willowbrook and the constituents really lobbied to get what they needed here. And I wonder if you see that as a success I do see it as a success. It's a limited success, though. There are a lot of places where people don't even realize this is going on. And I should say, in Willowbrook, they're looking at their plant. There are actually other plants, even in Illinois, that put out the same chemical that are still operating. And I I wrote about one recently in Waukegan, Illinois, a much lower income, less white place where the facility continues to operate. So it's called Medline. 
Are the constituents there as organized as Willowbrook? Well, they're fighting. They really are. There is a group called Stop ETO. I wrote about them recently, and they're working hard on this. But they haven't gotten the traction yet that Willowbrook has. So what does it say to you about how the system needs to work better if you have such disparate impacts within the same state and then also, you know, intrastate? Well, right. It's it shouldn't obviously we, we can't do this fighting factory by factory, town by town. It's just not the way to go. Right. Obviously, there are some systemic problems here. The uh, uh, top level one being that. EPA is able to put out science, which it can still do to some degree, but it's not enough to have the science, clearly, because you need the science to be turned into regulation, into enforceable regulation. And that's what's not happening. So that's sort of the big level thing. At the EPA, time moves in slow motion. It takes years to calculate the risks of living in a place like St. John. And in that lag time, the people there were getting sicker and sicker. So I asked Sharon, if the Environmental Protection Agency won't step in, will Louisiana? So in Louisiana, they have the option to take this assessment and say, oh, we're going to use this when we're in law or we're going to use this as we approve permits or not. And down there, they've said not. Right. And I should say that Louisiana did recently announce that they're going to sue Danka because it didn't uh, the company didn't meet its 85 percent promise. It said it would reduce in 2017. It said it would reduce its emissions and it hasn't. Um, So it looks like, again, very slowly that they're moving towards some sort of action. But again, 85 percent wouldn't bring it down to the safe level. And it's all at their discretion as opposed to enforced by the federal government, for instance. That's true. So you brought it back to St. John, and I'm glad that you did, um, to tell me a little bit about what's happening there now. I was struck by the fact that you mentioned that since you've started this reporting, two of your sources have died. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, other people, of course, have have died since uh, I've been there. I didn't put them, you know, all in my first story. But there is certainly, when I went back, you know, I heard about you know, her cousin, his sister kind of thing, people who have died. But also um, Raven, who I mentioned is Robert Taylor's daughter, had a a friend growing up, lived around the corner, who had another very rare autoimmune disease. And they used to kind of commiserate because they had some of those same very bizarre symptoms. Um, Raven has gastroparesis, which is paralysis of her stomach. She can't eat anymore. And her friend, who's Troilus Harris, um, had some of the same symptoms and died at 49. That must be horrifying for someone who was sharing symptoms with her around-the-corner neighbor and having a very similar experience. And then he dies. She dies, yeah. And for Raven, I mean, it's already horrifying. She can barely walk. She can't eat. She's... She's 50 years old. She can't work. She's bedbound. You know, she's had countless surgeries, you know, to try to deal with. I mean, her life is miserable because of the health condition she has. And yeah, but I, I do think it was heartbreaking for her to see her friend die. I wonder how your reporting has influenced these two communities, because you painted this picture where the town of Willowbrook was able to act with some speed and get their issues addressed. St. John working 
just as hard, hasn't been able to. I wonder if the people in, for instance, Willowbrook have ever thought, hey, how can we help these people in St. John? Actually, I'm glad you bring that up. After the, the my second story ran that brought these, talked about both of these communities, I got a bunch of calls and emails from people in Willowbrook saying exactly that. We want to help them. And it was, it actually was pretty amazing because I had, was worried that some might take the story as sort of an indictment somehow of them, which it isn't. It's, in the, you know, it's a horrible situation. Um, I did contrast that they had gotten action when St. John didn't had not. But of course, the point isn't that they shouldn't have gotten action. And they said, we want to work on this together, you know, which is, I think, would be quite welcome. Hmm. Has anything happened or they're still waiting? Well, some of the folks from St. John actually this week are in Japan. Lydia Gerard, whose husband just died, went to a, a board meeting of Denka and with a picture of her husband who died uh, to talk about what the people of St. John are going through. And I saw on Twitter yesterday, a friend of mine tra- translated the Japanese information from Denka, but they still, I, w- part of what they their response was, this chemical isn't so bad. It's not even so bad. You know, so I think they're still fighting. But the people of St. John, they're working incredibly hard. But they're also incredibly text. You know, there's so, I mean, Robert Taylor is 78 and he's taking care of sick family members and nobody there has a lot of money. It's really an exhausting thing for them and realize they, so this has been going on that they've been exposed to the chemical for almost 50 years. What's happened now is that we know about it and the EPA has shown the risk it poses. So their health conditions continue, mm. but it's more that suddenly we all know about this. So here, this has been public information. I mean, technically, EPA put it out in December of uh, 2015. I did my story in the beginning of 2017. So it's now two and a half years that we all know about it. It's at least more, right? That this is public information and we know that basically we're putting out or this company is putting out carcinogenic gas over the this community and it's harming them. And I guess what gets to me about all this, it's like now we know and nothing's happened. And so when I go back to these people and I say, I want to write about you again, you know, I can hear the exhaustion in their voice. Like now reporters are coming to them and it's good. More people are paying attention. And I'm so glad about that. But they're tired of like, and one guy said to me, oh, this man, David Sanders said to me, you know, after your story came out, I thought something would happen. And I thought, you know, he thought something would happen, which is a reasonable thought to have. And he said, but now it feels to me like people just saw it as a story, you know, which kind of broke my heart as a journalist because it's like, right, we're, I'm telling this as a story. But it's not a story for them. It's their lives, you know? They're not, you know, it's not like another thing to read and like share on Facebook. It's like this is their life, you know? And and somehow now we all know about it. And it's crazy to me that it's still going on. Sharon Lerner, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks. Sharon Lerner is an environmental reporter at The Intercept. All right, that's the show. 
What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. If you are wandering around the internet tomorrow and you want to say hi, check out what I'm tweeting at Mary's desk. And if you are looking for something else to listen to, right this second, head on over to The Gist with my friend Mike Pesca. Today he's talking to Kyle Pope. He's the editor of the Columbia Journalism Review. After the New York Times fired their public editor, Kyle decided he'd hire one of his own. And while he was at it, he hired public editors for The Washington Post and MSNBC and CNN. I like it. It's kind of passive aggressive. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.